Well, I'd like to introduce to you uh, my friend, uh, Eric Taylor. Um, Eric spent most of his life in Vermont. He attended the Jericho Congregational Church for many years with his family. Uh, he now has two adult children. Three, excuse me. Um, and Eric now lives in Pennsylvania, um, where he works and is an elder at his church. He's on the preaching team. Um, but Eric is also uh, a writer. We, we met each other through the Vermont Christianity and the Arts Conference, which he did a lot to organize and run the last couple of years. Um, so Eric is a published author. Uh, he's, uh, he writes young adult fiction, poetry, um, many other things. And most of all, Eric is a follower of Jesus and someone who loves to teach his word. So um, please give him your attention and give the Lord your attention through what he is going to speak to us. Come on up, Eric. Yeah, not only do I have three kids, I have four grandkids now. So. All right. Well, we just had Valentine's Day. And so I thought it would be useful to think about, we've been going through the wisdom books at our church, uh, preach through Song of Songs and Job and Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. And the wisdom books give us insight in how to live our life well and how to live our life in godliness. I wonder if there's one of the ladies here who would volunteer to score the effectiveness of a couple romantic statements. Anybody who wants to, who wants to, you just have to write a score on a piece of paper here. You don't have to say anything. You're getting volunteered. Would you buy? Yeah. So what I'm going to do here is I am going to utter a couple of what I think are just wildly romantic statements, and I'd like you to score them. Top score is a 10. That's like this would have really won your heart. A, a zero is this is a total fail. You, you haven't got a clue about romance. All right. Are you ready? Okay, I just lost my place in my notes. Um, your nose is like a tower. <laughs> I took this from the Bible people, so this should be good. Your nose is like a tower. No, you're not rating me. You're, uh, hold up the score. If you, if you... Oh, so you gotta write it big. oh, write it big. What, did I get a zero on that? Jeez. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's let's try again. Your neck is like the Tower of David hung with warrior's shields. A thousand warrior's shields. <laughs> and you wonder why I'm single here. Um, okay, let's, let's try one more. I think I can do better. This, this is like the crowning glory of my romantic statements. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I, 
I, I, okay, I didn't do so well here, but I want to talk about these a little bit because I want to suggest that these things actually give us real insight into God's perspective on romance, and I'm not kidding. Um, but let me, let me read this passage um, just to get some context here um, from Song of Songs, chapter 4. I'm going to read the first seven verses. You can read the rest of the book on your own. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Guys, you should be paying attention to these things. Um, this can be really useful. Um, well, maybe, maybe not. But uh, Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your whips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. You know, try to picture, I mean, you got a, you know, it's like your temples are, I don't know. But, um, your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like, are we supposed to read this in church, people? Uh, this, this is scripture, though. Remember, romance was God's idea. This is, uh, we don't have to be embarrassed by romance and even sexuality. You, um, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. But what do we do with this stuff? Uh, but part of the problem in wrestling with the Bible is that when we, when we read any kind of literature, we have to understand what kind of literature we're reading. If I say to you, three preachers were out in a boat, you've already guessed that I would be about to tell you a joke. Whereas if I say I was driving down Route 28 and I saw blue lights flashing in my rearview mirror, you're not thinking that's a joke. You're thinking I probably had some misfortune. And if I say, I met this woman and she walks on the wings of the wind. You're not thinking that she's a superhero with, with winged feet, you know, or a Greek goddess that's not yet. You're thinking that I'm just sort of lapsing into poetry here. That the kind of literature that we, we are reading determines how we read stuff. And Song of Songs is the language of poetry. And so we want to think about poetry as we're trying to make sense of this passage. The other thing that we have to think about is we have to think about culture. Because different ideas mean different things in different cultures. Um, help me out here. What do you think of when I say dog? A dog. Yeah. What do you think of with a dog? 
A friend. Goofy. 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 There we go. Okay. Anybody else have a thought on a dog? Cuddly. Cuddly. Partner, doorbell. Okay, so we've got these ideas of companionship on that line. Some people would go so far as to say family member, that this is a part of my family. On the other hand, if you were to go back a hundred years in our culture, the dog would be a protector of your chickens from the fox. The dog would be something that would herd your sheep less of a buddy, but more useful. If you go to certain cultures still, a dog is a watchdog. It's a protector. For those of you that really love your jobs on dogs, I'm sorry to use this as an example, but there are parts of the world even today where a dog is dinner. I've been in some of those countries. Um, and so... Something that seems like, how else could you think of a dog? You could think of a dog, it turns out, in a lot of ways. And if you were to go back to New Testament times, dogs were largely wild animals. They were scavengers. You didn't keep them as pets, but they would clean up the dead stuff. If an animal died, a dog would come and eat it. They would eat unwanted scraps. And so the dog became this cleanup mechanism for the community but not something that you would bring into your house. So culture is going to change how we view images. That's gonna help us as we, we look at this. Oh, let's just do one more animal and then we'll jump back into the text. Think about a goat. What's your image of a goat? They'll eat anything. They'll eat the clothes off your clothesline. They'll eat a tin can. Okay, so we've got this. What's that? They eat waxed fruit. They eat waxed fruit? Okay. So we have this garbage eater. What else do we think of when we think of a goat? Smelly. Smelly. Especially male goats. Right. What else do we think of for a goat? If you've watched YouTube videos of fainting goats, a friend of mine said, oh, they're kind of cute. Um, Satan. Okay, so you've got these horns on the goat that seem kind of devilish. Any other image for a goat here? Food, okay. They're dangerous. Okay, we have the dangerous goat. All right, so we've got a bunch of images of goat. But if I'm going to say to some young lady, your hair is like a flock of goats. Our cultural images are coloring what we hear. But here's what Proverbs says about a goat. The lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. So according to Proverbs, if you've got goats, you've got money to buy what you want. Goats are riches. And in fact, you didn't have a, a bank to take your money to. If you wanted to have money in biblical times, if you wanted to have riches, now you could get some jewels and silver, but, but mostly the normal person, if they wanted some riches, they would try to increase their holdings of land and they would try to have a lot of goats. <coughs> 
Here's what Proverbs 30 says. Three things are stately, dignified in their tread. Four are stately in their stride. You want to think of something that's really lofty and dignified. Here are the, here are the, the three or four things. The lion, the mightiest of beasts. Okay, I can buy that one. The lion does not turn back before any. The lion's unafraid and dignified. The strutting rooster. The he-goat. The smelly he-goat. And a king whose army is with him. That goat is being put in its dignity with a king, with his army. And so culturally, think about the goat for a minute. The goat was the source of meat. Someone actually brought up the idea of food. The goat was the source of milk. The goat was the source of wool, which made cloth and blankets and tents. The goat was your source of leather, which made various things that you used in life, Um, your wineskins, your tent, um, your sandals. And so the goat really was what provided for a lot of your life. So when we're going to respond to biblical images and we're going to say, hey, here in Song of Songs, your neck, your nose is like a tower, your neck is like a tower hung with shields, your hair is like a flock of goats. If we're going to get God's wisdom from this, we have to understand the culture that disappeared in. So let's start with, with, I just want to look at these three because I think these three images, your nose is like a tower, your neck's like a tower hanging with shields, and your hair is like a flock of goats. I think those are farthest from our culture. Those are farthest from, you know, your temples are like pomegranates. That looks gross if you think about visual. But, you know, I mean, who wants to have temples that are these great big balls? But at least the pomegranate is sweet and juicy and it's refreshing. And so some of the images here in this passage, we can at least do a little better with. But your nose is like a tower. I mean, I got a zero for that one. Um, We use facial images when we talk about things. Um, Tyler turned up his nose at my idea. It's not really his nose, it's really his internal response. So we use the face, um, he set his face against me. Bill was just a stiff-necked fellow. You know, that we use these facial head images. And so think about a tower for a moment. First of all, you're in a town that's got all one-roomed, one-story buildings. You would go up onto the second story, and that's where you would hang out and get a breeze, uh, which is why the Old Testament tells you put a railing around your roof. It's because you had a flat roof and you hung out there. Um, We've got this town of one-story buildings, and then we've got this tower that stands out above everything that's around it. And not only does it stand out above everything that's around it, But if you're living in a world where enemies might come marching in 
or riding in on their camels or their horses and attack your city, your safety depends on that tower. And so when I said, your nose is like a tower, what I actually said was, you stand out above everybody that's around you. And your bearing is a bearing of safety. Do you want to adjust my score? Do I do, I do any better with that one? Okay. And I started to think, because if this is God's wisdom for romance and relationship, I was talking with a friend, and he was struggling with munching on junk food. And he just, at work, he had a vending machine right outside his office, and he decided, I'm not gonna go out and buy Snickers bars. I guess we could have gotten Snickers bars here, but he didn't know. Um, I'm not gonna go out and buy a bag of chips anymore. I'm gonna resolve myself to improve my, my discipline. The first day of this resolve, he said, he made it to about 10.30 in the morning before he went out to the vending machine and bought junk food. And he came home at the end of the day and he told his wife, I made this resolve and I didn't make it past 10.30 in the morning. And he said her response to him was this, what are you doing wasting our money on junk food? Don't you think we have more important things to do with our money than that? I've got news for you, that's not safety. If you're going to have, if you're going to enter into real romance, if you're going to have God's satisfaction in your life, we need to be safe people. We need to be people who can be real and who can be vulnerable. The writer, uh, Brene Brown, she's written a number, she's a researcher in sociological field, and she has written over and over again about how in essence, all of us feel this sense of shame about different things. We all tend to want to hide ourselves because we don't feel like we're quite enough. We don't feel like, you know, we're, I mean, the other guys are stronger or taller than me. You know, someone else is prettier. I, I feel like kind of a fraud at work. I do my job, but if they really knew how incompetent I was, they wouldn't have picked me. Everybody's got some, you know, something different. Um, that they feel not enough about. And she, this wasn't what Brene actually wanted to study, but she studied this and she discovered that everybody's carrying around some sense of shame, some sense of not being enough. And she discovered that the only real anecdote for this is vulnerability, that we have to open ourselves to somebody, but we have to open ourselves to somebody who's going to be safe to open up to. And so the scripture says that if you're looking for godly romance, here's the starting place, being a person of safety, being a person whose nose is like a tower. And so there's this invitation in this seemingly obscure passage to look for, you want to have a good relationship, be someone who's safe. 
I have a, a cousin, I haven't seen him for years, but when I visited him, his wife, he and his wife were just always taking these little sh shots at each other that, oh, that was stupid what you said. That's marriage, yeah, I've, a friend of mine actually they, he, uh, she and her, her husband were having, having an argument, and he said to her, you're stupid. He apologized for that. But a month later, she was talking about it, and she still said, a month ago, you said I was stupid. And that still hurts. Fifty-five years ago, my daughter said to me, Daddy, I don't love you anymore. I know that she was going to be over it in five minutes at the time. It still stings when I remember it. Because words can wound us. And the invitation of God's wisdom to us is that we be like someone whose nose is like a tower, that we be a person who is safe. And so you want to be more successful in your marriage. You want to have your marriage better. You single guys who want to attract somebody, be somebody who's safe rather than somebody who's cool and tough. So invitation number one from the scriptures is that we be someone who is safe. Let's go to image number two. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Hey, isn't that lovely, ladies? You know, your neck is like a tower with warriors' shields on it. But let's go back to that lens of culture. Guess when it is that you hang your shield on a tower. Anybody have a thought? In a time of peace, you're right. If you're in a time of war, your shield is by your side. You sleep with your shield by your bed. And so if you've got the shields hanging on the tower, you're in a time of peace. And so image number two is saying, let's have peaceableness. I have talked to more, I mean, as an elder in my church, you hear people's stories. I've talked to an awful lot of people whose home is a place of tension for them. Who you come in the door, I had a friend, one friend who said, yeah, I go to work and I work all day and, you know, it's not always easy and sometimes, but people often affirm what I do. I had a pastor friend, not, not the church I'm a part of, not, the, not this church here, don't worry, um, who said, when I get in my house, my wife is not happy because I don't make enough money. The church was small, it was struggling, and he was never enough. And she let him know, and that's not a household of peace. 
And so the invitation here is that we be safe people and that we cultivate an atmosphere of peace. A friend of mine said that every time his wife got mad at him, she would say to him, why don't you just file for a divorce? Guess how peaceful and safe that felt. So you want to have romance. You want to have real romance, and you want to have a spark to it. I mean, as a young guy, you know, I could imagine, you know, the passionate kissing, the various other forms of physical intimacy. I got news for you when you get to be an old guy. Those things are still there. You know, you still, I mean, a passionate kiss would be wonderful. But that's not the foundation of romance. <laughs> Go for it, brother. Um, the passionate kiss is not the foundation of romance. The foundation of romance, scripture is, is suggesting, is being a safe person and is creating an atmosphere of peace in your household. Okay, let's go to number three here. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I think this was probably the most winning of my romantic statements. That's the, the crowning glory of, guys, okay, you know, hang on to this one because this is, the, this is, the, this is the tough. But it is, it is the crowning romantic statement of this passage. Because if you're in a culture where your savings account is largely your flock of goats, what he said was, people look at you and say, he's a rich guy. And what he's communicating with that is I see value in you. Guys, if you single guys in particular, if you want to impress some girl, stop trying to show her how cool you are and show her how much value you see in her. And you will score some points. Because this is... A, People look at you and they say, wow, he's rich. And I, we talked earlier about the goat. The goat is the one that provided your meat. It provided your drink. It provided your shoes. It provided your tent. It provided your clothing. He's saying, you're the one, that, that, you're the one that's got everything I need. A friend of mine, again, I've unfortunately heard too many sad stories, but a friend, this is a friend of a friend, but the friend was telling me about it. She said, yeah, she came, her, she says, she said, don't you ever like make lunch for your husband? Oh no, I make him do it my, himself. He's gotta be responsible. And every time this woman asked her friend, well, don't you, don't you do, like, do something nice to make your husband feel special? 
It's like, oh no, he's a jerk and I'm going to show him. You see, that's not caring for what he needs. And I can tell you that that guy would not have felt very loved. You want to, you want to love in a biblical way, start loving by meeting real needs. Start loving by taking care of the person. Start loving by looking out for what they want. The, the author, um, Gary Chapman, I think it was, who wrote The Five Love Languages, um, he talked about the fact that often we're trying to show love for each other, and yet we're not meeting the needs that the person wants met. Talk, told about stories, you know, this husband who would come home from work and come in, and his wife would say, hey, you want to sit down and talk? And he said, yeah, sure, I'll be right there. And 10 minutes later, he's disappeared into the other room and hasn't come out to say, hey, where are you? I thought you were coming to sit and talk. I said, oh, I saw a load of laundry here, so I was just folding it for you. I'll be right there. And he says, okay. And 10 minutes later, he's still not there and said, are you done with the laundry? Well, yeah, but I noticed this light bulb in the closet and it was out, so I got the ladder and I'm replacing the light bulb. And finally he comes out and, she sa and he says, so, what do you want to talk about? And she says, nothing. <laughs> but you see, what happened was he was trying to love her. He was genuinely trying to love her. But yet he was missing the need that she wanted to have met. The need that she had at that point was the need to talk. Now, I would suggest that in that situation, both the husband and the wife needed to do some work because the husband needed to know she needed his focused attention right there. But the wife should have recognized he's trying really hard to tell me he loves me. That's his, his way of doing it is with acts of service. He's trying, let me gently, you know, if she had said, thank you so much for doing that stuff, I know that you love me so much with that, but what I need right now is I need you just to come and just talk with me because that's what I need now. So she could have done it in a way that affirmed his attempt, but there is this, in this image of your hair is like a flock of goats, there is an image of you're someone who really takes care of me. And so, we need to think about if we're in a relationship, if we want to have a relationship, how can we genuinely take care of the person? How, what would make the person feel taken care of? So we've got this foundation of being safe, of being someone that someone can be vulnerable with. And I think these things extend, by the way, not just to romantic relationships. If you want your kids to talk to you, Work on being someone who's safe to talk to instead of someone who's got the word of correction. One of my sons, we, we, he was pretty, pretty pissed off at me at, I mean, when he was 17 or 18. 
And I don't know, a couple years went by and he finally got to a point and he said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to talk about this now. And he said, Dad, I've never felt like I've measured up to your standard. I never felt like I was good enough because you always had a better way to do everything. And he was right. I mean, it was, I actually didn't think of him that way, but that's the, I have this sort of engineering brain that likes to analyze things and likes to think about how could, how could we do this process better? It works really well at work. You know, and I'd watch him play hockey, and it's like, man, a good game. But you know, if you had gone and you had pressed this attack here, the coach would be giving you more play time. And I, I was genuinely trying to help him. And yet, there have been other people who felt like I was imposing my way of doing things on them, like my way was better, like they didn't measure up. See, I wasn't being someone who was providing for what he was needing. I wasn't being someone who was safe. I was being someone that left him feeling not enough. And so the invitation of scripture, you want, you want to have relationship with your spouse? Be someone who's safe. You want to have relationship with your kids? Be someone who's safe. You want to reach out to the members of the community a lot of years ago, for before a lot of you were born. Um, I, was, I had visited this church. They had asked me to come preach. And next door to the church, there was this laundromat where the local teenagers hung out. And they said they had been trying for the last couple of years, they didn't tell me about it till afterwards, to get these teenagers to come to their church. They'd go over and invite them. They'd go over and they'd tell them about Jesus, and nobody ever came. I got to the church a couple hours early before we were doing a presentation there, and I saw the kids. Back in those days, hacky sack was really big deal. For those of you that don't remember hacky sack, it's a little, little leather-covered ball filled with, with rice or beans, and you kick it. You know, as a soccer player, kind of drill. I was a soccer player once upon a time. And I saw them out there playing hacky sack. So I walked over and I said, hey, can I play hacky sack with you guys? And they said, yeah. And we played hacky sack for an hour. And I said, oh, I gotta go over, there's a thing at the church, I've gotta go over there. And three of them said, can we, can we come with you? Because I was someone who was safe and who was with them, not someone who came to correct them. And after that, several of the elders in that church went out and bought hacky sacks. <laughs> and it's like, no, guys. See, you've missed it because, I mean, I was a soccer player, so I liked hacky sacks. That was my kind of thing. I just went and did it with them. The problem isn't that you don't have a hacky sack. The problem is you aren't safe. Now, I didn't know, I couldn't say that at the time. I was, you know, in my early 20s at the time, and these were older men. And I didn't put it together until later, but you want to have relationship, the biblical foundation for romance, the biblical foundation for relationship is safety. The biblical foundation for romance is that you're the kind of person who's going to protect them. 
the biblical foundation for romance is that you're going to honor the person. You know, if you're going to say your hair is like a flock of goats, I'm saying I hold you in high honor because you're the person that is the riches in my life. You want to have relationship, then you're going to have to find a place of honor. So how can I be the person who cultivates in my marriage, in my courting, in my friendships, in my relations to the community, how can I cultivate being safe? How can I cultivate being a protector? How can I cultivate being a person who actually honors other people? How can I be a person who meets real needs Both Jews and Christians have taken Song of Songs as an allegory of the love of God for his people. I tend to be a little bit nervous with allegory, but here's the Jewish philosopher Maimonides, Maimonides, I've hard name to print, Maimonides, there we go. Um, what is the proper form of the love of God? It is that he should love with a great overpowering fierce love as if God were lovesick for a woman and dwells on this constantly. It is to this that Solomon refers when he says, for I am lovesick, that's from chapter two, by the way, for the whole of the song is a parable on this theme. If you want to grasp the good news of the gospel. That's really it in a nutshell. God is lovesick over you. Read the book of Hosea and over, over again, God says to the nation of Israel, the church at the time, he says, what can I do with you guys? You keep running away, but I can't not pursue you. I'm like a lovesick teenager. I'm flipped out over you. And so when we think of these images of God in Song of Songs, think about God as desperately in love with us. That Jesus is the one who keeps us safe. That Jesus is the one who offers us peace. That Jesus is the one who provides all we need. And if in your faith you're saying, man, God is up there in the heavens and he's angry because I don't quite measure up. Man, there are these, keeps, these sins that keep showing up in my life and I'm kind of ashamed to even... It's like God knows. And God's not saying, Tyler, you don't measure up. He's saying, Tyler, I'm lovesick for you. And if you're finding yourself coming to God with shame, then you're missing the safety and the security and the protection that the gospel is said, says is yours in Christ. So this is our lens for romance that God, let's go back to those, those, those three images 
Your nose is like a tower. That is, you stand out above everybody else around. And you're the one who keeps me safe. Do you want to adjust your score? What do I get? Write it big this time so we can see it. I got an eight. Okay, there we go. We've definitely moved up on the world, in the world here. Your neck is like the Tower of David built on courses with stones. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of war. Oh, the other thing about that thousand shields. Think about a town. I mean, Georgia, Vermont would be big compared to a lot of towns in Old Testament times. You had a few biggies. You had Jerusalem. But most of them are this collection of little villages with, with farming and taking your goats out to the countryside. A thousand shields was serious protection. And so in this second image, your neck is like the Tower of David. Once again, you're standing up above the city. And you are the one who protects me. And when I'm around you, I'm at peace. Do you want to adjust the score on that one or I still get a zero? <laughs> Whoo! All right. Not sleeping on the couch tonight. All right. Um, and your hair is like a flock of goats. What I said is when people look at you, they say, man, he's a rich guy. And you're the one who provides everything I need. You're the one who takes care of me. My everything is in you. Do I get adjusted? Woohoo! There we go. So there is, there is the biblical invitation to love and romance. I, I originally titled um, this message, Hot Romance, Noses Like Towers, Necks Like Shields, Hair Like a Flock of Goats. Tyler was a little apprehensive about putting that in the bulletin, but now that you know what we're talking about, I think we can. We can. That is the invitation to biblical romance, is that you be safe, that you be a protector, that you be a provider, that you hold your partner in value, that you meet real needs. And so I want to invite you to think for a moment about for the people that you care about. What are ways that you could do this better? What are ways that you could be safer? What are the ways that, and as well as think about who could, who could, I, who could I actually be vulnerable with and feel safe? What are better ways that I could provide the needs that you really want me to provide rather than the needs that I would like to have provided for me? And so that, and then, again, to come to extend this to all of our relationships and then to extend this to this is the love of God for us, that he has said, I choose you and I will protect you and you can be safe even if you come to me with your worst. Because the Gospels are full of this. The woman at the well, Jesus says, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. But come. 
This was the this was the preacher who hung out at parties with thieves and prostitutes. And he was known as the friend of sinners. And so the invitation of the gospel in Song of Songs is that we come to the God who says, with me you're safe, with me you belong, and you're the one that I will provide for because you are mine. Amen.